Hey, it's Graham Norton here. Thank you very much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose this week on the show. Susanna Constantine has a memoir out, ready for absolutely nothing, and joins me in the studio to tell me more. Actress Ruth Jones tells us about her new novel, Love Untold. Pruleith gives us a taste, <laughs> see what I did there, of her new cookbook, Bliss on Toast. Show chef Martha cooks up two autumnal dishes, and we've been putting our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here is Maria to tell us more. Here she is, boys! <laughs> 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 Here she is, boys. Uh, how are you? I am all right, thank you. I've done two very silly things this week. I shall tell you one of them. Yesterday, okay. I had a very important Zoom meeting, but I took the dog out, and then, of course, I locked myself out. Neighbour oh. next door has a key for these eventualities, but was away busy living his life. So I had to steal into another neighbour's garden and get a ladder and then put it up to my bedroom window, which was mercifully open. And then, not quite long enough, the ladder, and also nobody to hold it. This was all, you know, I was playing the theme tune to Casualty in my head. Da, yeah, da, da, really. Da, da. <laughs> so, as it was a very short ladder, I had to sort of launch myself at the window and manage to get in half in and half out, lying across the sort of top sill, thinking, ah, now I appear to be a little bit stuck, legs out, wish there'd have been a video, and then managed to get my hands onto the floor and perfect a forward roll, Graham, haven't done one of those for a while, into the bedroom floor. That Never. is so what? impressive. Your upper body strength, I'm so impressed. Yes, well, not as good as yours. You managed to hold a plank for five minutes, I remember, at the Olympics that we held once, our own personal <laughs> Olympics. <laughs> I still am impressed by that, and I want you to try and do it again because it was some years ago now. It was but some years what ago. what a foolish thing to do, Graham. Where was Dolly the dog while all this was going on? She was trying to get up the ladder also, but then thought better of that. <laughs> thought it's bad enough for her up there, and she weighs a lot more than I do. And so just waiting patiently at the door for the door to be open. And my important Zoom call, I have to tell you, I know your show was um, on last night. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, and you're very blasé about it. Oh, yes, I forgot we're back. Mine... <laughs> Zoom call was about... You remember my secret project in May? Yes, 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 yes. It's a new show, Graham, on the BBC One. Are, um, you, on, are you revealing what the secret project is? I am now, because it's going to come on your television screens. Um, on the BBC One on Thursday, the 6th of October at 8 o'clock, and it's called Unbreakable, Graham. Unbreakable. And do you sing the theme I, song? Do you sing the theme song? <laughs> yes, I wrote the theme song and sing the theme song. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, lots of celebrity couples. We've got Shirley Ballas and her lovely boyfriends and um, Denise Welsh and her husband, Lincoln, who all um, feel they have unbreakable relationships. And they are put through a series, Graham, of sort of psychological and physical and, frankly, comedy tests to... Um, to sort of eliminate them as we go through. Um, oh, my goodness, they were so competitive. Now, I'm, I mean, following, this... it, I'm following it so far, Maria, oh, yeah. apart yeah, from yeah. what do you do? Yes, that's good. <laughs> I was thinking, I, 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 yes, that's a very good programme. I'd watch yeah. that. Why I is Maria in I do hair and makeup. I do hair and makeup. No, I don't do hair and makeup. I am one of... Um, Two experts. I know this is a difficult one. I did do my expert degree in the summer. Um, myself and Mutanda, um, uh, Angula, Angela Mutanda, sorry. You'd think I'd know her name by now. <laughs> You're an um, expert. 
Yeah, our <laughs> experts, and we watch how the couples work together, how they communicate, how you know where the tension flies, when the triggers are hit, and you know it's people who have been together for maybe uh, nine months or twenty-five years or thirty years, and you're still learning in relationships always. And it was, I have to say, it was yeah. fascinating. Yes, I think what couples should learn is... I have to say is, that because they're yeah, paying you, you have to say that, but also I'm thinking what couples should learn is to say no to doing that on television. <laughs> <laughs> because I imagine well, that they're like, if they're, the divorce rate from Strictly is high, I imagine that the divorce rate from this show is even higher. <laughs> Virgin Radio. Yeah. Hey, I'm in a mood. I'm in a mood for problem solving today. I'm looking forward to it. Are you? You sound yeah. very perky. Have you taken some, forti- you know, filisan, fortified beer before this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some Sinatogen Plus. That's what I'm on. Um, a lot no, of coffee, I'm, I'm guessing. A bit of coffee and I had a, a strange swirly thing with some raisins in it. I'm ready to go. Okay. That sounds first, delicious. First Here problem, please. Yeah. Dear Graham and Maria. After being cheated on for the fourth time, I finally broke up with my long-term partner last year. It was a difficult transition after more than 20 years together, but to my surprise, I am absolutely loving life by myself. I feel I have never been so free and without the emotional baggage holding me back. Sadly, my friends and family have different opinions and are constantly on at me about finding someone new and making me feel that I am some sort of tragic spinster. Many of their relationships I would hardly call golden, but the general consensus is that middle-aged and alone is sad. I avoid drinks and dinner parties with them because I can't stand the long pitying glances and conversations about the latest dating app. How can I get them to understand how happy I am? Or do I just post pictures of me skydiving in Las Vegas to get the message across? And that is from Colm in Liverpool. Oh, Colm, I'm so sorry that you have split up, but I'm so happy for you that after 20 years, you are finding yourself and are free from the chains of the domesticity and the anguish of somebody possibly cheating on you. The fourth time, I have to say, you are very patient indeed. Now, when you say there are long pitying glasses, Colm, glances column um i would say that those long pitying glances are also tinged with jealousy and regret you see you've gone out of the norm people have sort of you know settled for whatever their relationships are and are in some sort of domestic trudgery and you have got the freedom to go skydiving in las vegas and get up when you want and have a cup of tea in the middle of the night and do whatever you like so I just say you're not obligated, Colm, to have a relationship just for these people. You're getting to live the life the way you want to live it. I mean, you could just say to them, I'm playing the field. And if you want to avoid those long pitying glances, you could say, oh, yes, <laughs> make something up. You could just say, oh, yes, I had a wonderful date the other night. And, you know, those long pitying glances will turn to absolute rage because you are having a fabulous time. And if you don't want to go to dinner parties with them because of that, Find new friends. That's in your gift right now to do whatever you want to do. Graham, what do you think? Well, it's annoying, but people are doing it because, you know, they think they're being nice. You know, it, no, they don't. No, they don't. I think they do because, I mean, because they're not thinking, 
I mean, what's actually going on is they want you to replicate the life choices they've made. Quite, so and it, their relationships it, aren't Yeah, older. because it validates, it validates what they've decided to do. And that's what's really going on. But in their head, I think they just, they think they are caring for you and they think they want you to be happy. Not acknowledging the fact that for the last 20 years, you've been very unhappy because you were right. not, you were in quite a toxic relationship. So, you know, I think... There's only so many times you can say it, and then you just have to kind of let them get on with it. Uh, yeah, because I think you know, being single at, at any age, it, it can be tricky, but you have found, you know, it's, it's a kind of sweet spot for you now. And what's great is this only, you only broke up last year, so it's been less than a year, and so you're enjoying it, da 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 and in the fullness of time, you might meet someone, or you might not meet someone. But these people... You know, I think in the end, they'll they'll also get over it. You know, your single status right now is sort of a shock to them because for 20 years you've been in a relationship. Now you're single and they're all a bit, you know, it, it's thrown them off. So they'll get used to it as the months go by. So I It's think a difficult one, the, It's difficult though, Graham, because it's a lose-lose situation because if you act like you're miserable and sad, then you get the long pitying glances. And if you act like life is wonderful and you're having the best time, then you get the jealous and curious glances. So, you know... They might think they're being helpful, but really, as you say, you're upsetting the status quo by being a singleton in a, a lot of friends, as you seem to say, who are together for whatever reason. So I don't know how you kind of get over it. You can't win. Just, maybe just say you've got a long-term relationship. They're living in Miami or something and you only see them twice a year. <laughs> but you're very much in love. <laughs> and, yes. and just find a picture in a magazine and cut it out. That's him there. Yeah. I mean, Colm in Liverpool, you are not alone. There are increasingly. He is. He is alone. He is alone. No, shush. There are increasingly (laughs) numbers of singletons out there. And, you know, having a nice time. When you stop having a nice time, then maybe you consider the dating apps, etc. But for now, it's really none of their business. And you can say, while I'm happy, please support me. And then when I'm really unhappy, you can help me with dating apps. And my favourite responders today will be receiving a Waitrose Victoria sponge cake. Not a lot to add to that. It's just a delicious sponge cake filled with whipped buttercream and strawberry jam. It's a whole cake. It's a whole cake. That's what you'll get. Uh, Lynn in the Wirral says, Colm, how well do your family know you? I would have thought it should have been obvious how happy you are. Carry on, grab life by the watsits and enjoy yourself. Good advice, Lynn. Graham, Colm should tell their so-called friends to shut up and keep their opinions to themselves as your previous relationship uh, was toxic with constant cheating. It is your life and you should live it your own way. You don't need a partner to be happy in your own skin. Isn't that the truth? And so says Billy in Dundee. His friends are just being kind. Kind friends are hard to find. Eileen Nessix, even she finishes it with a, a question mark. as if like, is this helpful? Not really, Eileen, no. Uh, it's Colm's friends' problem, not Colm's. They are all just so used after 20 years of them being one half of a couple. And by the sounds of it, they are also coupled up. That all their social interactions are as couples and it is inconvenient to them that Colm isn't a couple anymore. Very Bridget Jones and the smug marrieds. Colm should enjoy his newfound freedom and take the opportunity to do all those things he wants to do. In time, if he wants to explore the dating scene, that's his choice and no one else's. Uh, I am going to give the wine to... 
delicious. It's not wine. It's it's a cake. It's a delicious Waitrose Victoria sponge cake. You can see where my mind drifts. <laughs> what would I like now? <laughs> Why? No, no, Graham. Cake. A Waitrose Victoria sponge cake. That's what they would like. I'm going to give it to Lynn in the world for her sensible advice of taking life by the watsits and enjoying yourself. Graham's Uh, Right, we have a second letter. I like that noise. That was just Kenneth Williams there. (laughs) 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 An old door opening. Uh, off, Off we go. Dear Graham and Maria, 17 years ago, I lived in America after I left university. While I was there, I dated a man who I fell for pretty hard. He knew one day I would have to leave, so he ended the relationship and started to date someone else. I had to accept this and move on, even though it broke my heart. Hmm. I'm now 42, and last year, out of the blue, he got in touch. It started platonically with the occasional message, and then it got serious. Last month, I went out to America to see him for a week, and we had an amazing time. We clicked on so many levels. He said that I should visit again, and it was a very emotional goodbye at the airport. I have since returned to the UK, and the contact has dropped off. We've gone from messaging five or six times a day to maybe once or twice a week, if that. I've suggested revisiting in December, but so far no commitment from his side. I'm just so confused as we had the most amazing week and it was him who suggested visiting again. I've decided to play it cool and not acknowledge the lack of messaging. Is ghosting his way of silently brushing me off? If he is brushing me off, then why would he suggest that I go back and visit and say that the week we spent together was the start of something? I'm not one for chasing people, but I'm just hurt and very confused. Please help. And that is from Shelley in Winchester. Oh, Shelley in Winchester, my heart goes out to you. But I have to say in the kindest and nicest way possible, I'm afraid what you experienced there in America for that blissful week was just a long distance hookup because he hasn't come back to you about visiting in December. That's really all you need to know. There's been no email saying, oh, that would be amazing. We can do this. We can do that. It's been silence. It's really hard to hear. And I know he said the start of something, yada, yada. But people say things in the heat of the moment they shouldn't say. And you hold on to them with hope in your heart. And actually... He's probably met somebody else. I mean, the long-distance relationship when you first met didn't work. You had to split up. It's not going to work now, even though, you know, now you're 42 and you've had a lovely week. So it it, it was a hookup, Shelley. It was nothing more. And he's possibly met somebody else, and that's why he's silent and not messaging you. Why are you laughing, Graham? No, I'm not laughing. Well, I'm just sort of smiling, kind of. You know, just that thing that it's... What's so sweet about this, Shelley? Shelley knows it's over. And I know the, she does. And, and the way she keeps going back to, why would he say we should meet again? But he said we should meet again. And the trouble is, it was just some words. He said it because it was an easy thing to say at the time. Maybe in the heat of the moment at the airport, he meant it. But as he drove away, he he didn't feel like that. And and it's so 
it was so mean of him to do that when that isn't how I felt. You know, it, it's like people telling you that they love you when they don't. It's yes. it, They think they're being kind. Actually, it's an awful thing to do. And I think that's what's happened here. And, uh, Shelley, you... It's, it's very hard to know how Shelley will get closure. I think what you need to say, Shelley, is, oh, by the way, I'm doing something else in December. I won't be coming. And then see what he says. And, yeah. Yeah, or and- just say, just take back control, Shelley, because at the moment you've given him all the control. I mean, I was going to say men are cowardly, but let's just say people are cowardly in general. And if they can get away with not having to have a confrontation and just, as you say, ghosting you, then they'll go for that. They probably feel bad about it, but only for a minute and then the new girlfriend steps in to make dinner. Um, so, <laughs> You could, you could, you could get close, yeah. You could get closure by saying, "Hi, name of man in America. Um, you know, it was a great week, but you know, you're right. A long distance relationship is ridiculous. So I'm just calling this now. So you take over from this. He's just not saying anything. You take over. You say it to yourself, and that's how you get closure for yourself by taking back." your control by giving him all of that and wondering and, and putting meaning on his words that have none then you're making yourself suffer even more so end yes. it but Shelley should be proud of herself because she did a big brave thing you know yeah, well she, she went she went for it she tried something kind of mad kind of adventurous you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go to America I'm gonna see this guy that I knew all these years ago and so well done you for having the the, the bravery and the kind of whatever to do that and be proud of yourself for that but now be proud of yourself for having for having the sort of the honesty to go yeah not that into me it's done and and dusted, I think. I mean, it's yeah, just, you, you need to just, move on. Just get back on another horse, as they say, Shelley, in Winchester, because that's the best way to get over something where you're thinking about it 24 hours a day. Just go out there and find somebody else who's nearer. Yes, <laughs> Long distance much. relationship, not across the pond. You know, it's all very heightened when you're there for a week, etc. Yes. And it's not real life. But so, the joy is, the joy is, having broken up, you won't bump into them in the supermarket all the time. So you know, it's <laughs> yeah, swing, when it you swings got your and roundabouts. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Dara sponsors part two, and my favourite responder will be getting that waiter's Victoria sponge cake, <gasps> whipped buttercream, strawberry jam. You get the picture. Yes, we see. Right. What advice do you have for Russell in Portsmouth? Avoid him like the plague. He just wants quick fun and not a long-term relationship. That is certainly the impression we're getting, Russell, yes. Heidi. Hey, Shelley, sending love, but please delete this joker's number from your phone or block him. His wife or partner was obviously away and is now back from her trip. We didn't even think of that. But that actually is an awful dear. Send him a message and tell him you've met someone really fabulous and so won't be seeing him in December. And John and Acton says, Shelley just needs to tell her US ex that she has discussed their relationship on national radio with Graham and Maria and she isn't going to be coming over this Christmas. Loser. Yeah, do that. Do that. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to give the cake, I think, to Heidi. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my guest. Uh, She shot fame in the early noughties as a host of What Not to Wear. Since then, has gone on to be a presenter, a podcaster, a YouTuber, a novelist. Now she's got... a really sensational memoir out called Ready for Absolutely Nothing. Her name is Susanna Considine. Hello. Hello, Graham. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. 
Oh, well, listen, this book... <laughs> like, I read a lot of celebrity memoirs because of what I do for a living, because of the show. Uh, this is a good one. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, it strikes me, were you, when you announced you were writing a memoir, were your friends going, uh, are you? Uh, could I see that before you publish it? You know what? They weren't, actually. Um, I mean, the people who I reference in the book quite heavily, I did send what I'd written um, to sort of pass it by them. But because I, I had no recollection of my past at all and I completely live in the in the present, I had no idea what I was going to write. Uh, so in writing it, there were so many moments in my life, Graham, that were a total surprise to me. And I think there'll be a surprise to the reader, too. Because, I mean, you really... When you say you live in the moment, you do quite a lot of living in every moment. <laughs> well, I am 60, Graham. Well, <laughs> so, a few decades so, there. Well, here's the thing. We are of an age. And, and, and you know, I was... You know, you were a, a little girl in the, the in the sixties and early seventies, and what shocked me was what a different world it seemed like. I mean, honestly, it reminded me of reading Lady Glen Connor's uh, book in that your childhood was so privileged and rarefied. It really was, and um, it was like it was kind of so cut off from everything. And if I hadn't. Live, had time in the countryside, yes, we were in London too, I think I would have suffocated. But because I could get out and about, whether it was driving from the age of being able, my feet being able to touch the accelerator and brake, which I think was about 11 years old, on the roads, or going out on a little fat ex-pit-pony, it was all I knew. It was all I knew, and I, ha I had no idea what was going on in the rest of the world. And because you're 60 looking back now, mm. do you think that gives you a sort of perspective on your parents? Do you think if you'd written this book earlier, you might have judged them a bit more harshly than you do? Because you have a lot of empathy for them, I think, in the book. You constantly explain why they weren't great parents. Yeah, I think that's really true. I kind of understand them better. And, you know, with my mum, who was severely bipolar, I have tremendous empathy for her and what she was going through and the fact that in the sort of 70s and 80s mental illness was treated so very differently and the way I illustrate um, her mental disorder is kind of like a gothic novel so Wuthering Heights or Jane Eyre and had she been born maybe even 25 years earlier she would have been put in the attic and the key thrown away I mean to me that's just Bonkers, yeah. excuse the pun. Yeah, and also, but I think what's sweet is you kind of you 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 know you feel now looking back that she wanted to be a better mother, but somehow your father, because he was the man, he dictated how she lived her life. Yeah, and that was a very much an ind indication of the kind. Of, I mean, we weren't upper class; we just lived in a upper class environment, but it. You know, businessmen, they, they, at that time, in the kind of 70, 60s and 70s, they needed their kind of gold pen, they needed their smart briefcase, and they needed a glamorous wife. And my, my mum was literally like an accessory. And to my father, he, she was like a trophy wife. She was incredibly beautiful. But his word was law, and whatever he did, she, she lived her life with him and at his side. And I think had she been allowed to be a more hands-on mother, she would have been a lot happier.
And you call the book Ready for Absolutely Nothing. Uh, oh. <laughs> you hit London mm-hmm. and, wow, you you never met a party you didn't like. <laughs> well, yeah, you say that. I think, for me, I mean, it's called Ready for Absolutely Nothing. It was going to be called Girl at the Back of the Room because that's how I was. My life was like Forrest Gump, so just was in all these extraordinary situations, meeting these incredible people. But um, looking back... I realised I was ready for absolutely nothing. I was I was encouraged only to marry and to marry well. And then I um, went out with David, Princess Margaret's son, not because he was Princess Margaret's son, but because he was so interesting. He was different. He was different from the kind of people well, I'd grown up with. He, he had yeah, skills. he worked. <laughs> and that was my rebellion. My rebellion actually wasn't so much going to parties, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was getting off my ass, getting a job, and that's where I got my self worth. And fame, because as you say, you were around all these famous people, but you always felt like the also appearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like then when you did step into the spotlight and you were on TV and you became this huge star? It's a it's a good question and and one I'm still kind of trying to work out but I think for me it was a job and it was a very privileged job because Trini and I were coming in contact with all these amazing people who were contributors on our show and that was the most important thing was helping and sounds really worthy but it was helping people women in particular to gain confidence and feel better about themselves and I never really kind of, it never kind of registered that we were famous. I know that sounds strange, but it, it really didn't. But it, it wasn't my comfortable space, having that well, much attention. I'd forgotten, because, you know, what not to wear was such a big kid. I'd forgotten that you and Trini actually started on Richard and Judy on This oh, Morning. I know, we did. But even before that, Graham, we, did a, we had a show on um, B Sky B where we were, we were doing auto cue and we were so appalling we were like a kind of dialect on what what not on doctor who it was so automated and we were so bad but we learned a lot we learned a lot about filming we filmed ourselves we used our homes our friends our dogs and then yeah we started getting picked up by um this morning because it seems so unlikely that itv daytime would want two very posh women <laughs> telling people about fashion but it was a different time wasn't it i mean i agree about the posh part but it, it's like, I don't think, if we were on television today, especially doing What Not To Wear, it would not translate. It wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be able to grab women's boobs. Um, and I think by the time people got bored of us and we got bored of ourselves, um, it was, I think people were fed up of being told what to do. Ready for Absolutely Nothing is out now and it contains... Well, I, tell us your anecdote, please, Susanna. So... Uh, I, unlike all my friends, I had Elton John. Um, it was a thing of a thing. It was something of how I would become, which is a complete and utter fag hag. 
And so I had Elton on my wall and everyone else had David Cassidy or Donny Osmond. And I was staying with the Queen Mother at Royal Lodge, as you do. (laughs) So that's an extraordinary thing. And this book is extraordinary anecdotes that reveal ordinary truths. But I was staying at Royal Lodge and we were told that Elton John was coming for supper. And I was like, my God, I can't. Literally, you you cannot imagine my excitement. It's like my, you know, my daughter was obsessed with Justin Bieber. I was like that. And anyway, so we were waiting for Elton to arrive. And um, he walked through the door. Everyone was very subtly and tastefully dressed. And in walks the ringmaster wearing blues on blue trousers, a diamond and sapphire brooch the size of a baked potato, <laughs> and with a wife on his arm. Of I course. mean, that was the most extraordinary <laughs> thing. It's like, who are you playing today? A married man. And um, I th- one of the terrible things I do to be make myself memorable is, is, and I'm quite ashamed of this, is to say something shocking. So I sat next door to him and... I asked him the question, I said, why are you married when you're so clearly a homosexual? And um, he just looked at me and he said, because I'm in love. So I was firmly put back in my box. And then he played, he got after dinner, he was playing and it was the sweetest thing because he sang that song um, to the Queen Mother, who, if you can suspend belief for a second, was like uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in the fabulous Baker Boys. Her little hand was on her, ch- her décolleté and there was this incredible sort of flirtation that went on between the two of them. And looking back at that, it was almost like you could think of an analogy that, let's say, in the 19th, 18th, 19th century, maybe Beethoven or uh, Mozart would have gone and played at the royal court. court but today, yeah. it was in the, in the, on that day, it was Elton John. Fabulous. And, this, and we should say the book is full of stories like that. It's mm. full of, uh, you know, very famous people and sometimes you have scandalous relationships with them and all sorts of things go on. But in the end, the book is most revealing about about you and, and some of the darker places you've been in your life. And I just wondered, you know, this book, when your children read or have, have some of your children read it or... You know what? No, they haven't. My youngest daughter, Cece, she said to me, I'm not going to read it because I'll prevent you from publishing it. And um, <laughs> my husband hasn't read it, probably for the same reason. But it's not scandalous. I don't think it's scandalous. And but So I said to them, look, you're, none of you are going to read it, but it'll be a nice testament to have after I'm dead. Well, no, I think no. They must read it before you die because there'll be there's so many questions. <laughs> but their friends have read it, Graham. Quite a few of their friends have read it, and they're in their twenties, late teens and twenties, and they've said, "My God, we relate so much to this because a lot of the book is written when I was their age." So, you know, I mean, there are things which I can't probably repeat on air. No, but, no, you cannot. <laughs> and um, but they they get it, they get it. So that for me is such a massive compliment. But I'm sort of surprised because I think a lot of people use memoir and then they get the bug for writing and they go on and write a novel. You've done novels first. Why did you delay with the idea? You know, because you have had this extraordinary life. Why delay the the memoir? Okay, I'm going to be really honest here. I never thought I would stoop so low as to write a memoir. (laughs) But I... um, when I during lockdown, um, I came went out. I, I went public with the fact that I'm an alcoholic, 
and it got a lot of attention and publishers called me up saying, would I write a book about my journey to sobriety? And I said, no. And I started looking back at my life and thinking, how could have I, you know, could I have avoided being an alcoholic? And that's when I realised that, okay, well, maybe there is a memoir of some kind. And initially, I thought it will be a lot about Trini and I and our TV years. And it transpired that actually that is the least interesting part of my life because it was just all these extraordinary, bonkers, eccentric moments that that captured a time. So the 60s, 70s and 80s, they, they were all so different and unique in each each of those decades. And I think the kind of anecdotes that I have reflect that um, quite nicely, I hope. Oh, no, um, brilliantly, brilliantly. Yeah, so... And I just thought, and then, you know, it, my agent sent it out and it, start, it started out being a, a very different book. And then it was like, just it just flowed. And most of my memories came from food and what I'd eaten, which I remember with exact clarity. And isn't it interesting, that thing you say about, you thought it was going to be about your telly career, but actually we, we saw that. You know, we know it. We we saw what you did. We, you know, so those are the least interesting things to write about because that's already in the public domain. Yeah, that's so right. And we, you know, we spent most of our adult life on television and in the public eye. And you know, Trin and I, what you, who you saw on television, that was us. Nothing was manufactured. So, like you say, we were already in the public domain. Uh, listen, I'll, I'll let you go. The book is called Ready for Absolutely Nothing, and. In a bit, in a crowded marketplace, as we head to Christmas, there are a lot of these books. This, as I say, is a really good one. It is juicy and uh, honest, and it's just—it's a terrific read, Susanna. Congratulations on it! Oh, it's my also love. really nicely, really nicely written as well. So, congratulations! Oh, thank you so much, Graham. You're an absolute angel, and right. um, I hope to see you soon again. Thank you. All right, lots of love. Take All right, care, and Susanna. Bye bye. Bye bye bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. All right. Uh, Never Greener in 2018 was chosen as WH Smith Fiction Book of the Year. That was followed up by Us Three, which is an instant Sunday Times bestseller in hardback and paperback. Now we've got Love Untold. The woman who brought all these books into the world is Ruth Jones, and she joins us now. Hello, Ruth. Good morning, Graham. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Yes, I've uh, succeeded in getting three out there, so I'm very, and, very pleased. And not just reading three, I've been reading just the most glowing reviews for Love Untold, so you must be thrilled. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy. I always thought I, was, I had a bit of imposter syndrome after I did the first one and slightly with the second, and now I think I can officially say I'm an author. So, uh, you really can, and this is this is a great cast of characters, and it, it spans the ages. Uh, tell us about the the women in this book. Okay, so it, it's um, a family drama, and it's about four generations of women in the same family. And the eldest is Grace, who's about to turn ninety. Uh, her daughter is Alice, who's in her seventies. Ellen, her, her daughter, is in her fifties, and at the end of the chain is Becca, who's sixteen. And uh, thirty years ago, uh, Alice, who's the seventy-something-year-old, uh, had a big falling out and abandoned the family, and they haven't seen her since. But now that Grace has this big birthday approaching. She wants to make peace and find Alice. 
But if she does that, it's going to cause terrible problems with her granddaughter, Ellen, who wants nothing to do with her mother. And poor old Becca doesn't even know that her grandmother, Alice, exists. So um, it's all that kind of mother-daughter tension, the family tension, and, um, and about whether, you know, a rift can be resolved. Let's hope it can. And it is... The, these characters are so, so brilliantly drawn and I'm so impressed because like I can write people kind of my age and older but younger <laughs> I re- I've, I don't know what young people sound like uh, your Becca she's brilliant how where does that come from do you hang around schoolyards <laughs> lurking suspiciously <laughs> that's really kind of you because actually yeah, Becca is the one I feel most out of my depth with because I am 56 now. Uh, but I do have nieces and I have kids. Uh, my, my friends have, have got kids that that age. Um, but, it, you know, that partly inspired uh, the story in a way because I was talking to one of my friend's kids uh, who's about 16 and I could tell by the look on her face that, you know, she was going through some stuff and uh, I could tell that she was looking at me thinking, you, you're old, you don't understand what this feels like. And I had to sort of say to her, I know I'm old now, but I was 16 once and the landscape yeah. may have changed and we may not have had social media and all these other things, but I do understand the emotions. And I wanted to write a multi-generational story to show, you know, a woman like Grace, who's obviously 90 now, but she had a really quite a, an interesting life when she was younger. And and that was, that was partly what inspired me to write this multi-generational thing. But I did have to ask my niece about language. And I know I put the word uh, on, it was sick in there. And my sister <laughs> said to me, you know, mum won't understand that. She won't understand that the word sick is a good thing. <laughs> it is weird, that thing, though, isn't it? Where you notice young people looking at you and you realise, oh, they're looking at an older person. Like, <laughs> it's such a shock. Yes, <laughs> it, it really dr- is. <laughs> but that's what they're seeing. And tell me this, because of the, the success of the first two, did you feel a kind of, a, not a pressure, but do you kind of think, okay, I'm going to write more of the same, so I'll stay in this lane, or did you just write the story you wanted to write? Well, it's it's interesting because, like, actually, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of your books, Graham, and I love that you... Oh, you stop have- it. Yeah, no, but these the, your your Irish characters and and I remember reading one of your books and I thought, oh yeah, um, I think I can tap into that Welshness as well and the and the Wel the, the Welsh character. So I feel like um, there's a world that I that I feel happy write, writing in, and I think I've learned from writing the first two books, and um, and I think maybe I feel more confident now to sort of inhabit these characters and, and and bring them to life but i do see what people mean when they say write what you know um and and wales is what i know and uh, maybe next the next novel i should venture beyond the seven bridge um, it's so funny. I mean, everything you're saying, I'm thinking, well, I've just said all that in a book event. <laughs> I've, said oh, really? exactly, I've said exactly the same thing. <laughs> we're, on, we're on the same page, Ruth. We're on the yes. same page. Uh, literally the same page. And I talked to you before about your first book, uh, Nevergreen, which, Nevergreener rather, which came from a, a script you found. Yeah. What about taking these books the other way? Have you thought about adapting them, turning them into well, TV dramas? Yeah, funny enough, I so so Nevergreen was a screenplay that I wrote sort of twenty years ago. Um, I turned it into a novel. I have recently, as a labour of love, started writing, turning it back into a screenplay. <laughs> whether 
whether it'll see the light of day, I don't know. Um, but the other, those the first two novels, there wasn't really much interest. But the the proof copies went out, like the preview copies went out to people to read uh, of Love Untold, and there has been quite a lot of interest to make that this into a screenplay. So. So we'll see. I always feel though that when you know you you read a novel, it's almost like one of the first things that people say um, is it. And I've, I actually mentioned this in Love Untold because Ellen belongs to a book group, and she finds it frustrating that one of the things that people always wonder straight away is, oh, who who would play the main character on screen? And you just sort of think. Oh, can we not let the book live as a book for five minutes? <laughs> for, for a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but but do, what about what about in terms of performance and stuff? Uh, do you do the audiobooks? Well, uh, I've done the, the audiobook for Love Untold, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was a, such a joy to do, and it was great because everybody was pretty much Welsh in there. There was like one Spanish accent, which I had to had to ask my friend Karen, who's half Spanish, to help me out with. And then, and then there was a, a Kiwi accent, so I had to ask Warren Gatlin, who's the the older rugby coach for the Welsh the Welsh team. I had to ask his wife on do a WhatsApp message and record these lines for me. But with the first novel, Never Greener, I just couldn't go there with the audio book because there was quite a lot of sex in it, and uh, I just was worried. I kept imagining my mother <laughs> listening to it, although she always says to me, "Oh, it's not the sex I worry about." It's the swearing I don't like. <laughs> um, and uh, will your mother find herself in in the pages of Love Untold? Well, <laughs> I have dedicated the book to her. Uh, she's eighty six, my mum, and she and, and she did it partly inspire Grace, the, the ninety year old, in the sense that she is very feisty, uh, get, get gets on with life. She's she's quite grounded, my mum, and she's very make-do and mend, you know, she doesn't sort of stand for nonsense. But when I told her that my main character, Grace, was this very fit 90-year-old who did yoga and walked everywhere and went swimming in the sea, she said, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody will ever believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't recognise herself. Um, and, and the acting, the acting, you know, people love you on screen, Ruth. Uh, but have you sort of, you know, now you've discovered you can make a living sitting in the back bedroom on a laptop. Um, will, will we ever see you on screen again? Well, one of the joys about novel writing is that you can you, do, you can get out and, and write in your pyjamas all day and you don't have to sit in a makeup chair at six o'clock in the morning having a wig put on your head. So there's a lot to be said for it. Um, but the, there's no plans at the moment to do any, but uh, who knows? I mean, never say never seems to be the motto of my life, really. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, I, and, and I also wondered, you know, because of, you had this huge success now, you know, with these books, do you kind of kick yourself? Because you, you mean, you, you were a writer anyway, but do you kick yourself that you didn't do novels earlier? Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because I, I, I just don't think I had the confidence to. I, I did a comic relief sketch with Dawn French and she had just done her first fiction novel. And, uh, and I was so sort of full of admiration and she said... She said, but you can do it. And I thought, no, I can't. And she said, no, seriously, have a go, have a go. Um, and uh, maybe I just needed a, a bit of a kick, <laughs> a, a, an encouraging kick up the bum to get going. But I didn't uh, I didn't start earlier. But I'm always, I've been a late starter with everything, to be honest with you, Graham. So um, <laughs> that's just the story of my life. I'll probably be a marathon runner when I'm 65, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, I'll wave. I'll I'll wave from the studio as you run over Tower Bridge. <laughs> Ruth Jones, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Love Untold, uh, this big family drama, is out now. Uh, take care of yourself. Good luck with everything and congratulations. Take care. Thank you, Bye-bye. Still to come, we play another round of the nation's favourite guest, the guest. And we speak to Prue Leith all about her new cookbook, Bliss on Toast, and a little gossip from the great British Bake Off. But first... Hello, Martha. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. So all morning I've been teasing the public with uh, the fact that you are going to make a galette. Uh, I just said the word galette, like, you know, like a dog barking. Uh, <laughs> uh, what the hell's a galette? It does sound very fancy, doesn't it? Um, mm. It's it's essentially a, a posh word for a tart. <laughs> um, but a tart that's even easier than a tart. It's like a, a free-form tart. A free for okay. So what what sort of okay? Let's what sort of galette have you made us? So this is a squash leek and black garlic galette made with yogurt pastry, and it's an Ellie pear recipe um, from the Waitress Weekend paper. Hell of a pear. Do we need to turn our oven on, uh, Martha, for this? Yes, absolutely. We put it on. Put it on now. <laughs> OK. So uh, how do you start? Presumably you make the yoghurt pastry first. Yeah, you want to make your pastry first. Um, now, this is a recipe from one of the new... They've revamped the weekend papers. So it's one of the new pages. It's called Too Good to Waste. And it's about taking ingredients that might go to waste in your fridge and working them into something new and exciting. So in the pastry, we've got yoghurt, because that's one of the things I always find. You end up with a little bit left and you don't know what to do with it. So Ellie suggests putting it in your pastry. So you put butter, flour and yoghurt all together, blitz it in a food processor until it all comes together into a ball. And that's your pastry done. It's nice and simple. And the yoghurt adds a nice little tang and makes it a little bit more structured than normal, which is good for your free-forming of your tart because you don't oh, want yeah, it to be tart, collapsing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK. And do you, is it the sort of pastry you need to roll out or do you just kind of press it into a shape? So it gets rolled out um, and then it gets folded over your filling. But because it's a nice, a galette is classically quite rustic. It means you don't have to be super neat. There's no crimping. There's no kind of faffing about. You just fold it over, do a little squeeze and it's done. <laughs> okay. And what about the filling? So you put that in before you cook the, the pastry or do you do it half and half? Yep, so it all goes in the oven at once. Um, the filling is a mixture of roasted butternut squash. It's got some leeks in there, some cheese, and you can use basically any kind of cheese. That's what the recipe just says, cheese, because it says that, again, using up leftovers, you can use any types of hard cheese and soft cheese. So I've used a mixture of ricotta and gruyere. Um, that all gets mixed together with some leeks. And then the secret ingredient in this is the black garlic. That is the star ingredient. Um, it's a little bit a little bit extra, a little bit fancy, but it comes in a nice paste now in the Waitrose Cook's ingredients range, and you spread that onto the base of your tart. <laughs> you had me at paste. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves a paste. Um, but gar black garlic's got this really kind of balsamic, vinegary tang to it, which works really well with things like cheese, um, which is why it's great in a tart. Gorgeous. What a perfect kind of sachet lunch thing. That'll be really, really nice. That recipe and indeed recipes past and present can be found in the Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub on the Waitrose website. You just go to waitrose.com slash showchef to see all the recipes prepared by Martha. You can also check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. That's a squash, leek and black garlic galette with yoghurt pastry. I'll talk to you tomorrow, Martha. Thank you very much for bringing it in. Take You're very care. welcome. Martha. Oh, yes, that high-quality jingle signals the arrival of Martha Collison and her trolley. How are you? Hello, I'm well, thank you. How are you? 
I'm very all the better to hear about what you've made today. Uh, this is gunpowder cauliflower. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. So now, so in my head, I was thinking it was going to be like little florets, but it's actually a great big brain of cauliflower. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it, actually. Yeah, it's definitely a centrepiece. This isn't some, yeah, cauliflower side dish. This is the main event. And what, what would you serve it with? So I think you would do this as part of, like, an Indian feast. So you could have it on the side of a curry if you want to impress any vegetarian friends who've come over and thinking they're just going to get some vegetable masala and instead you whack out a whole roasted cauliflower. Um, or you could just do it with some lovely flatbreads. Um, there's lots of yoghurt dressing that gets made in the recipe, so that's really nice, sprinkled over the top as well. And gunpowder suggests it might blow the top of my head off. I mean, how <laughs> how hot is it? So it's got some spice in it. We're using um, the Waitrose Cook's Ingredients gunpowder gunpowder spice blend, and it's called gunpowder gunpowder because it's so explosive. It's got so much flavour, um, which is perfect for putting on something like a cauliflower, which is quite mild in flavour and quite creamy because it kind of mellows it a little bit. So we've only got the spice on the outside of the cauliflower. So if you're not too keen on spice, take a bit from the middle. <laughs> <laughs> it, yes, it's like car. Carving meat, I guess, you know, it's it's well done on the outside and the inside it's rare. Exactly. And uh, is this totally vegan if you kind of use plant-based yogurts? Yep, use a plant-based yogurt and it's completely vegan or obviously vegetarian using a regular yogurt. Um, yeah, it's a really delicious. I think I'm always a little bit, you know, cauliflower steaks and people say, oh, I'll have a cauliflower steak. You think that's a bit, that's a bit lame. But this... It's a whole cauliflower. It looks spectacular, I think. It's got pomegranate seeds all over it, crispy onions. Yeah, it's a good one. Now, here's my thing, you know, because I, I would make this at home and I would think that's great, that's delicious. The thing I really resent, if you're in a restaurant and the vegan option is a cauliflower steak and it's £15 or something, you think, wait a minute, <laughs> I know I know how much a cauliflower costs. Yeah, when you make this recipe, you'll realise how much you're being ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, listen, i tell you what, let's play some music and then we'll get into the actual uh, nuts and bolts of how to make the gunpowder cauliflower. Oh, who's, is, this isn't your recipe, is it? So, no, this is one of Waitrose's in-house development chef, Zoe Simon's recipe. She's created loads of lovely recipes using the new cook's ingredients range, so it's in the weekend paper this week. Mm, I love she's an in-house development chef. <laughs> Who made this the in-house development chef? <laughs> <laughs> Tastes like it. So, take one... Uh, cauliflower. Absolutely. That is that is the best possible start for this recipe. Take one cauliflower, cut the leaves off, and then we're going to be keeping the leaves um, to put in the oven at the end because they've got tons of flavour. They're edible and they mean you have no waste for the recipe. So you take all the leaves You've off. told me this before and I still haven't done it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say and you tried it and you thought, no, no. <laughs> no, no, I still haven't done it. I still, I still, because, you know, a cauliflower is quite big. It's not like you need more. But anyway, go, go. So we've taken the leaves off. We've got our whole cauliflower. It's naked now. So your cauliflower is naked. We're going to mix up the gunpowder spice blend. Now this spice blend is so good because some spice blends, you read spice blender, then you look on the back and it's kind of three different spices and you think I could have made that myself. But this one I can't even count how many spices are on the back of the packet. It's about 15 different spices. You've got Kashmiri chilli, gram flour, turmeric, black onion seeds, curry leaves, hundreds of things. Well, not hundreds, 15 things. <laughs> yeah, um, you, you can count them, 15. So it's worth buying. <laughs> so we're going to mix that up with some oil and then paint that all over your cauliflower um, until it's bright red and beautiful. Then you can either marinate this for up to 24 hours so the spices soak in a little bit or you can cook it straight away. The cauliflower is going to go into the oven for an hour and 10 minutes. So you need to get this in with your roast if you're doing it as kind of like a centrepiece. Um, that goes into the oven. Jeff, 
just sticks in there for an hour and 10 minutes, gets lovely and crispy on the outside. The middle will be really tender and it holds itself together really nicely. And whilst that's in there, you're just going to prep your toppings. And these are so simple. You just need some pomegranate seeds, some Greek yogurt, which we're mixing with a little bit of ground coriander to give it a little bit of zing. Um, <laughs> and then some fried crispy onions. Now, these come in a cook's ingredient packet as well. So you haven't got to deep fry these yourself, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> so once the cauliflower's out of the oven, we're going to drizzle it with this yogurt, sprinkle a little bit of spice, put the pomegranate seeds on all of those crispy onions and a little bit of coriander and it really those colours kind of just really look like a party it's really a joyful a joyful cauliflower <laughs> yeah no, it looks absolutely beautiful and I think one of the things with cauliflower it's, it's almost like because uh, you kind of think it's a cauliflower will be totally porous and everything will go in but it doesn't everything kind of is just on the outside is there a way to kind of get a bit of it to kind of go into the middle of the cauliflower Oh, that's a good question. I guess if you wanted to, there's nothing to stop you from slicing up your cauliflower before it goes in. If you wanted to toss it all in the dressing and the oils before it roasts so that every floret is completely covered. But as I said, uh, but would it's that be quite too, Would that be too hot? Would that be, would that be too hot if <laughs> you did that? Depends how hot you like it. <laughs> if you like spicy things, you'd probably be absolutely fine with that. But if you're kind of cooking for a mixed group, some spice <laughs> lovers, some korma orderers, then I would go for <laughs> just the outside. Okay, and the hour and ten minutes, presumably that's a bit of, uh, you know, suck it and see, depending on how big your head of cauliflower is. Yeah, absolutely. If you've got a smaller one, it will take about 45, 50 minutes. And in the last kind of 15, 20 minutes, you want to stick your leaves in, toss them in a bit more oil, and those will become nice and tender and add a little bit of greenery to it as well. Okay, but the, and the leaves, you just eat, um, why don't eat the leaves if you can eat them? I don't understand this, it's a weird thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think some you have to obviously wash them thoroughly, but they have a really lovely fresh flavour. And if you don't want to cook them in this dish, you could save them, add them to a stir fry, stick them in your pasta dishes. They're really, really versatile. If you buy a bag of stir fry stuff, do you think there are cauliflower leaves in there? <laughs> they might have snuck them in. <laughs> <laughs> have I eaten Budget. them already? <laughs> you never, you never know. I don't. I haven't seen it on a packet, but you, but you never quite know, do you? It's green. You never know what's in there. It's a mystery, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It's a mystery. Well, it is uh, delicious. And as you say, a real kind of showstopper. If you put this down on the table, people will go, wow, because it, it is just gorgeous looking. Uh, recipes, pasta, present can be found in the Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub on the Waitrose website. You just head to waitrose.com slash showchef to see all the recipes prepared by Martha. You can also check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. That's gunpowder, cauliflower. Is it in the, it's in the weekend? newspaper did you say yes it's in the newspaper this week okay and online thank you very much have a lovely week and i'll see you next weekend you too see you then all right thanks martha bye 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 yes the um guest Yes. yes, we're playing it. We're in the middle of it. It's actually happening. Soon we will know if someone's going to win the Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box, including uh, containing the branded reusable cup, the champagne, the Florentine shortbread jam, balsamic vinegar, all those goodies. Uh, so the voice that people are trying to identify is this one. Boy, I don't even know about let go. I just, just let, let love happen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> let love happen. It's like eating takeaways. I decided I didn't want to cook. I just decided I was just living my life. I was living my life. I don't know, I was just having, I was having everything. I was eating everything. So I was just, just living, Graham. Okay, uh, let's find out who's up first. It's Mandy. Hello, Mandy. Hello. Hi, where are you? I'm in Ipswich, Suffolk. Ipswich, Suffolk. That Ipswich. Okay, gotcha. And, Ipswich, yes. <laughs> and on the waterfront, I'll have you know, on the waterfront. Oh, hey. 
Beautiful, <laughs> lovely. And uh, was this a group think? Or did you? Is this your guess alone, or did you talk about this it with people? This is my guess. I'll take total responsibility. My guess alone. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, and what's it like today in Ipswich? Is, is it nice weather there today? Can you see oh, the boats? Oh, it's lovely. Really, really sunny. Really good. Oh, oh you've painted a beautiful picture there. Oh, uh, lovely. It's like you're. It's like you're going to sell your house. <laughs> you're really going. Oh, it's lovely. Okay, Bandy. Uh, who do you think owns that voice? Oh, oh gosh, Joey Essex. Joey Essex. So not. <laughs> well, Mandy, I don't. I don't want to second guess. Let's find out if you're right or wrong. <laughs> Oh, you were sort of right in that you're wrong. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for playing, Mandy. Thank Take care you. of yourself. Enjoy Bye. the rest of your Saturday. Bye. There she is, waving at the boats. Uh, next up is Jason. Hello, Jason. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm very well. Uh, where are you today, Jason? I'm down in the beautiful town of Sidmouth in Devon. I like the way people are bigging up where they live. It's a beautiful town. A beautiful town. And uh, have you got plans? Town. <laughs> have you got have you got plans for this Saturday? Uh, just a few bits doing it in the house with my lovely wife. Yeah, not too much going on really. Just enjoying the sunshine. Oh, I'm glad you're with your lovely wife today. That's good. The other one, not so lovely. No, terrible. Um, and is this? Have the two of you decided uh, on this guess, or are you flying solo? This, yeah, I'll have to do the same as the last lady and accept full responsibility on this guest. <laughs> All right. Will you be winning a Graham Norton with a Waitrose gift box? Let's find out. Uh, who's your guess? Who do you think it is? My guess is Jamal Maddox. Wow. That is, a, that is quite the guess. OK, let's find out. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? Uh, let's see if you're right or wrong. Yes. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. Listen, Jason, you tried, you got in here, you got to big up your beautiful wife, so it's all good. Enjoy the rest of your Fantastic. Saturday. Take care now. Heads up to her. Look, thank oh, you, bye. Take care, bye. Uh, and we've got Roisin up next. Hi, Roisin. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well. And where is Roisin on this Saturday? I'm in Glasgow City Centre. Of course you are. Is it beautiful there? Are you looking out at something? Uh, Surprisingly, yeah. It's pretty sunny at the moment. (laughs) Don't sound so surprised. (laughs) Well, it was pouring this morning. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. And are you you, uh, putting bets on for Glasgow to host Eurovision? What do you think? Yeah, um, I think I've got a lot of... <laughs> I hear the voice of someone who doesn't care. <laughs> I, I'm the voice of someone who likes an excuse for a party. <laughs> oh, well then, then so. you'll love Eurovision. Uh, well, listen, uh, do you want to crack open a bottle of champagne? Let's see if we're sending that to you in that Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box. Who do you think that voice belongs to? Daniel Kaluuya. Good guess. Let's see if you're right. It's all riding on this. The shortbread needs a home. <laughs> oh, you're right! Well done! Roisin in Glasgow, congratulations. Well, Eurovision, we don't know if Eurovision's coming to you, but a Graham with Waitrose <laughs> gift box is. Uh, what have you got planned for the rest of your Saturday? Um, I'm actually applying for jobs because I've only got four weeks left in my contract. So not oh, wow. Well, let's, what do you do for a living? <laughs> I work in a university, um, not in academia, just a admin type role. But 
I love the calibre of our listeners. Yes, someone from academia listens to this rubbish. Well done. Um, is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the wireless, Roisin? Oh, yeah, I should probably say brother and sister. Um, my brother definitely won't be listening because he's away for the weekend, but um, my sister Sinead like listening. Um, and my parents in up in Mossymouth, up in the northeast of Scotland. So uh, hi to Morgan Jerry. <laughs> Very good. Well, hopefully, hopefully this win means uh, your luck is in. Today's the day to apply for jobs, so hopefully you get one. Uh, take care. Thank Thanks for joining in. Thanks for listening. And congratulations to Roshin in Glasgow. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. We are now joined by cooking legend, bake-off judge, Prue Leith. Hello, Prue. <laughs> Hi, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. Now, you have so much going on, but let's start with uh, the book, the, the cookbook. Uh, Bliss on Toast. Now, I just thought Bliss on Toast was a great title for a book. <laughs> then I opened it and realised, oh, no, oh, no, it is actually it is, <laughs> it a... is actually a cookbook about toast. It's such a genius, simple idea. How did you come up with it? Well, it was just because, you know, in lockdown, you, I was cooking an awful lot for two, and it, I didn't like cooking for two, and I so I tended to make more than... M- more food than I needed and then I'd have all this leftovers and of course I'm far too mean to throw anything away <laughs> so we'd end up with whatever I had made the day before on toast and then I realised actually anything that is delicious whatever it is it could be you know beef stew or, or coco vin or um, you know a seafood um, Caesar salad it all is better on toast than without toast. <laughs> so I started just putting stuff on toast and taking pictures, you know, sort of little um, Instagram-type pictures. Yeah. And then I realised, actually, there's a book in this because there are just so many things you can put on toast. And and it, and it sort of excuses you from... You don't have to boil potatoes or make rice or pasta or, or anything. You just you get your carbohydrates from the toast underneath your protein. And also, you're not just using, you know, a, a sliced white loaf. I mean, there's a, a, the, the toast varies as well as the toppings. Well, exactly. And I think that's partly a sort of celebration of what's happened over lockdown is so many people started baking and making sourdough and, and focaccia and ciabatta and all sorts of fancy breads. And and there are masses of, of new artisan bakeries all over the country doing fantastic bread. And even supermarkets have great bread now. You go into the co-op and there are 20 different interesting breads. And I realised that I had been using the same boring loaf. <laughs> you know, <laughs> every week I'd buy the same thing. And, and then I thought, that's crazy. Why don't we have rye one week and then focaccia the next? And of course, I don't expect you to follow the, this book religiously. I mean, if I tell you that, um, you know, cottage cheese and fennel seeds and grapes go, go well on top of focaccia, they'd also be great on top of sourdough or plain white piece of toast or anything. And do you get into bread recipes, or do you just uh, is the bread you know with that with that's no, that, that is silent? I am silent on the subject, except for flatbread because it is so easy to make an instant flatbread, and so that's great for a wrap or for um, you know a, just flatbread with some lovely delicious thing on top of it. And tell me this, you you then because I'm with you. Anything on toast is delicious. I slightly lost you on your dessert section. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know, Graham. Have you never tasted bananas and whiskey or rum, and bananas and hazelnuts with a bit of 
um, maple syrup on it and a dollop of vanilla ice cream. I tell you, that is the pudding to die for. Actually, that does. Or as you say it, I'm thinking, not only does that sound delicious, it sounds achievable. It sounds like the sort of thing I, I could make that. Yes. And, and apricots, almonds and clotted cream on an English muffin. I mean, and, you know, nothing. To, and it's just an assembly job. I mean, most of these recipes, or in fact, all of them, are assembly jobs. I mean, you can buy potted shrimps and you can buy pickled fennel or whatever and just put it all together. But I've also put in a keen cook section at the back for people who want to pickle their own veg or who, you know, how to make, um, you can, it tells you how to make hollandaise or mayonnaise if you really want to. But let's face it, most of these things you can buy pretty adequate um, you know, yeah. most, most supermarkets have all of these things and you can just buy them and I'm just thinking, uh, if parents right now are packing up their kids to take them to university, pop a, a copy of Bliss on Toast in their bag and you won't go wrong, will you? That's a very... I'm going to put that quote on something. Graham Norton says, pop <laughs> one into your students. But it is true because I think this sort of thing could... Um, first of all, it, it, it's, you're not meant to s follow these recipes slavishly if you don't want to. It's supposed to be sort of inspirational and, and fun and, you know, make your mouth water. But it is easy to do, and I think it could interest students in food if they made a few of these, because you could do a party. You know, dinner parties are sort of going out of fashion, aren't they? People often have parties that involve food, but they may be sharing platters or, or wraps or something. And I think... Um, you can have an absolutely delicious supper um, for a party and everything's on toast. Delicious. Uh, we talked about this on toast. So the memoir is called I'll Try Anything Once. So you brought out this memoir, Relish, a few years ago, yes. quite a few years ago. And why did you decide to update it and revise it now? Well, mainly because a lot has happened in the last, you know, 10 years or something. Um, I've um, built a new house completely, made a... a a television programme about gardening. I've got onto Bake Off. I've done a whole lot of... Um, I'm now doing a one-woman show. I mean, it, a lot has changed in my life. Um, and there have been some sad things. You know, my, my beloved um, younger um, brother died. and So, you know, I just needed to update it, I think. And also because it's being published for the first time in America. And um, so I thought, well, if I'm going to do a new publication altogether... Yes. Um, I might as well um, update the English version too. Because, of course, in Britain we've known you for years because of, you know, your cooking and everything, but it, this is because of Bake Off. Is this the first time you've sort of uh, tapped into the American market? Absolutely. I mean, I was completely unheard of in America. I've, I mean, I've written eight novels and they've all been published in or all been sold in America, distributed in America. And I don't think any of them have ever sold more than 500 copies. I mean, they, they put them on the shelves and the, nobody buys them and they come off again. And I think that's because nobody had ever heard of me. And now because they've heard of me because of Bake Off, I'm incredibly grateful to Bake Off because it just has jumped me into a level of profile that is high enough. And the Americans watch um, Bake Off on Netflix, of course. Yes. And I'm now um, a judge on the Great American Baking Show, which will come out next year in America. So I have a I actually have more fans in America now than I do in, in Europe, so... 
What a great twist in the tale. I you know, know. As, as we get older, you don't expect things to, to take off like this. You kind of think it's a young person's <laughs> game invading America. But there you go, Prue. I know. And I know what is, I mean, it is, I am so lucky. I mean, how many people have the life I've had? I'm, I really am incredibly grateful. Um, the thing is, though, that in order to, profit by it, to, 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 to um, enjoy it, I have to stay healthy and I have to live a little longer. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm 82 now. So. No, are you really 82? I'm wow. A, I'm 82. So, so I think there's some, you know, this sort of late flowering is going to be rather brief. Well, can I just say, the tour you're planning next year, it's going to be killer cure because it's it's quite the tour. You are going all over the place. And it's called Nothing in Moderation. And it starts in February and goes right through to April where you finish off in the London Palladium. And have you have you written the tour or are you going yeah, to be interviewed yeah, on stage? Or yeah, what, what yeah, is it? No, I've, I've, we've done four tryouts now in, in Bath and Leamington Spa. And the first one, which was in Bath, I was so frightened honestly Graham I just I mean I've done lots and lots of talks and lots of stage stuff before but I I've never had to do a one woman thing and there's all this sort of back projection and little clips and and having to keep to a script and I, I was so frightened I absolutely hated it and I thought god I've made a really big mistake because not only is there this huge British tour but that I'm going to do next autumn I'm going to do it all over America and so I thought I made a horrible mistake. And then by the time I got to the fourth one, which was in Leamington Spa, I loved it. I mean, I'm such an egotist. I just <laughs> love, I love the attention. <laughs> and is it is it just talking or do you show clips or do you bring a toaster with you and demonstrate how to, how to put oh, things no, on no, toast? No, 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 no cooking, no cooking. Um, just, um, I chatter away for, a, for half the time. Um, just going through my life generally, some mostly funny stories about you know disasters in catering or, or making the queen a cup of tea. I mean, just just jokey stories and um, about my life. And then, in the second half, there are questions uh, which I try to answer. And all the time, there are back projection of um, little clips from my life and. You know, funny, funny bits and one or two Bake Off clips and, you know, lots of stuff goes on behind me. OK, if people are looking for uh, tour th- tickets, they are available now at Mick Perrin. That's P-E-R-R-I-N. Mick Perrin, all one word, dot com. You can find tickets there for the tour. It's really, you. I mean, if, <laughs> if you live somewhere in Britain, Prue won't be far away. She- <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Yeah, are you? Are you? you is say, there a tour bus? Is there a tour bus involved? Or are you yeah, going to be in your mini? No, no, there's a tour bus involved, and a lot of and a lot of help for me, thank God. And my husband will come along, who, who describes himself as my bag carrier because he's the one who's make sure I don't go and fall over. <laughs> anyway, but as you say, it'll be kill or cure because yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, Paul, I'm, Paul, I'm, Paul. I'm I'm nearly sixty and I'm doing a book tour now, and it's <laughs> I'm exhausted, so I'm looking at this thinking, good luck, Bruce. <laughs> uh, no. Well, Paul Hollywood said you are mad because he he was going to do another tour he's done one before and he and he's just cancelled it because he just said you know you're off your head it's too it, it's it's totally exhausting but you well, know I, I believe in you I believe in you. <laughs> you you'll be able to manage it uh Prue Bliss on Toast is the cookbook I'll try anything once is the memoir and of course there is the tour tickets at mcperron.com thank you so much for coming in to join us Prue take luck, care of yourself good luck on yours Graham oh thank you very much cheers <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, 
Have you clicked that follow button on our socials? If not, you are missing out on all behind-the-scenes action. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.